0: You're listening to the Doxology and Theology podcast, where we promote, encourage, and equip gospel-centered worship. For more information, visit us at doxologyandtheology.com. Let me invite, if you would, to grab your Bible. Don't open it yet. We're just going to hold God's Word for just a moment. If you have, like, leather and paper, that's preferable. But if you don't, you can just hold your iPhone fondly hold your iPad up your chest. You may think that at a conference that's called Doxology and Theology that we would have this down. But bound up in your heart, in my heart, is a one-way trajectory away from what God has spoken toward our own wisdom, toward our own plan, toward our own agenda. So my question as we conclude this conference is, what do you think about when you think of God's word? What do you think about when you think of God's word? Not through the lens of sentimentality, but through the lens of grounded conviction, through the lens of heart-opening affection. What do you think of when you think of God's word? Oftentimes as worship leaders, we still don't know what to do with this book. We're told and we hear that our, our church services, that our lives should be based and built upon the foundations of God's word. But if we're honest, we still don't find personal uh, joy and satisfaction in our times of, of opening God's word. Some of us started leading worship because we loved Jesus and we loved God's people. And we didn't realize that a book came along with this. That we weren't a people looking to the scriptures for permission to do things, but to the scriptures to be informed in how we do things. Maybe you lead your church in worship week after week, but you still feel like you're in a battle with this book. In a moment, we're going to open these books, but not yet. Continue to meditate on this. When you think of the Bible, what do you think of? As a child, I loved to sing in church. I loved it. I grew up in a church tradition that loved singing. And when we would sing together, things would happen in my heart, in my emotions. We would sing these glorious doctrines set to beautiful melodies, and my heart would feel the weight of what we were singing. I remember older women standing in the very front of our church or in the choir loft who would cry While singing on a hill far away, stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. I can remember my dad standing on the very front row of our church. He's a preacher and he would stand with his eyebrows way up like this, singing very loud. The way Boswell's are wired. I remember these moments. Sometimes on Sunday night we would get wild for Baptists. And uh, we would, like, clear out the pews and stand around the, the walls of the church holding hands. And that felt different and risky. <laughs> and then we would sing. And, oh, man, the memories there are just sweet. Of meeting with God and his people in song. But I had a hard time connecting the truthfulness of God's word with the affections of our singing. When the singing was over and we would all sit and dad would get up to preach, it it never fell on me. I didn't seem to experience God the same way. It was more theological, less emotive. There was more doctrine. And as a child, I didn't know how to process those things. I'm 35 years old. I still don't know how to process a lot of those things. Maybe that's maybe that's you. Maybe you grew up in that same kind of a wrestle. As worship leaders, we're drawn to the emotive state of of engaging with God. Part of the reason doxology and theology exists is to help connect this growing theologically and also not negating the address of the heart. The Puritans come to our aid using this word communion with God, seeing both God glorious with our mind and feeling God's glory with our hearts. And there's not been a day of my life where I've gotten that right. So the flip side of of being more emotively wired then you start to read doctrine and it puffs you up from a very young age and you become a moron. And then you forget how to feel and it's brutal. And so then you're wrestling back. Hey, feel again, would you? Feel these truths that we're saying. Doxology and theology. It's the conference we're at. We're going to begin by parking on the truthfulness of God's word. And as you now open your Bible to Psalm chapter 119, know that you are opening the living, breathing, perfect, indestructible, Unstoppable word of God. Psalm chapter 119 is where we'll be. Well, Boz, are you doing all of it? (laughs) Yep. Let's notice some stuff before we start reading, okay? Psalm 119 is the mountain of the Psalms. And immediately we feel very small. From the very beginning of it, it can be confusing. What's the first word you read there? If you don't know how to pronounce it, it's Aleph. Okay? So already we have no idea what's going on, unless you speak Hebrew. And this is a seminary, so some of you do. And I apologize for my pronunciation of Aleph. And so what's going on here is this psalm is a song it is a poem and it is a poem that wants us to see clearly who God is as revealed through his word and to be a people who love and cherish the word of God and it does it with beauty and with carefulness and with glory and so this is a an acrostic this word aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet which is 22 letters long and you'll notice through these first 8 verses Every line of this poem starts with uh, the letter Aleph. All right? Nobody was courageous enough to say Aleph. And then you get to verse 9, and what word do you see here? This is simple enough. What does it say? Beth. That's wrong, actually. Yeah, it's bet. See, we're still confused. What's going on with this letter? And it goes and goes and goes. Now turn to the right until you reach the end of Psalm 119. I'm going to save saying, if you get to the maps, you've gone too far. (laughs) Notice it has 176 verses. This chapter is as long as the book of Ruth. It's as long as the book of Philippians. It's as long as the book of James. This, friends, is the longest chapter of the longest book in the Word of God. And this morning I'm going to show you how to turn that into the longest sermon you've ever heard in your life. The buses will wait for you, but your planes will not. All right. Psalm 119 proves to be one of the most important parts of God's word when it comes to how we think rightly. Rightly. About the word of God. What we feel about it. How we respond to it. It teaches us about doxology. And theology. It informs the way that we view the life. And the labor. Of the worship leader. The first thing that I want us to see. In this text. Is it calls us. Commands us. Invites us. To think rightly. About the word of God. To think rightly on the Word of God. And the psalmist is meditating here on the Word of God with intentionality. He wants us to approach God's Word with our whole minds, with our whole hearts, with our whole lives. And he praises God with his theology. His doxology is dependent upon his theology. Let's read together verses 1 through 8. Let's praise God with the psalmist that God has condescended and spoken to his people, that he's the help of his people, that his presence is with us, carrying us, nourishing us by his word. Verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. From the very beginning, the psalmist presents us with a glorious view of Scripture. You can't help but read this psalm and not hear echoes of Psalm One in this page. Blesses the man who fears the Lord, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And and on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. This is the way of blessing. This is the way of life. This is the way of walking Under the word of God. But the wicked are not so. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. You hear it here? Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Verse 7. I praise you with an upright heart. When I learn your righteous rules. Our worship of God flows from the Word of God. Our response of worship is a right response to the revelation of God. So we respond because God has first spoken, we respond because God has first called. The psalmist wants us to see the glory of God as revealed through his word. The psalmist is inviting us, come and think rightly about the word of God. Now as we continue through the next eight verses together, what the psalmist is going to do with care, because remember, he wants us to come and see rightly this word. And so what he's going to do is hold up this word, this word of God, and allow the light of God to shine through it. He's going to use eight different phrases to describe for us what God's word is and what it says. Let's keep reading together. And here he goes. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. To God's speaking. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And he turns the word a little bit and says, these are things that God has revealed that man should Adhere to. Verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart, that's God's spoken word, that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Oh, he turns it again. The statutes are these things that God has inscribed. What's in view here is like the commandments that God gave to Moses on the Mount. The statutes of God. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Now, if you're wired like me, that's a terrible word, rules. Rules are meant for other people. Not me. But here the psalmist says, no, rules are what God has given to us to adhere to, to submit to. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. The testimonies of God are his self-authenticating declarations. It's his self-disclosure. This is who I am. This is God saying I care about all things my, above all things, my glory, my name, my word the testimonies of God the declarations of himself. And the psalmist is saying these things that you've told us about you I delight in those things as much as in all riches. Verse 15 I will meditate on your precepts. Your precepts. Now the word precepts is only used in the book of Psalms. And this is a A beautiful word, the precepts of God. And what's in view when the psalmist says, I meditate on your precepts, is him saying, I'm going to meditate on your covenant, on your covenantal agreement that you have made with your people. I want to meditate on your covenant and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. The psalmist wants us to think rightly about the word of God. Notice to the psalmist, this isn't a burden, this word. This word is life, it's nourishment. It points him to a God who loves and keeps and sustains every promise and every person that he is reconciled. The God who is faithful in all of his ways, the God whose word is unbroken is powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword. Brothers and sisters who lead and serve and love God's people in worship, we must be a people of the book. We must be a people who think rightly about the word of God. Over the last little while, we've seen prominent leaders in the area of worship deny and question publicly this perfect word. Some construct an assault against the word of God, trying to finagle it, trying to edit it, and it cannot be done. Where God has spoken, we close our mouth. We've seen prominent worship leaders try to Defend and promote the cause of homosexuality by using God's perfect word. Brothers and sisters, this cannot be done. So, to save our hearts from pride, when we see someone publicly say, The, the creation account, I don't know. The account of God delivering his people through the work of Noah, I'm not sure. Pretty sure Romans 1 is not really saying that the penalty and punishment of sin is death. There are two ways to view God's perfect word. There is the way of viewing it, our lives in submission to it. And there is us being the authority over it. There's no third way. Where God has spoken, we close our mouths. There's this... There's a seeming third way that we could position ourselves beside the word of God. But there is no man who stands beside the word of God. God has spoken. God has the first and the last word on all matters of our life and our faith and our practice. So we don't apologize for what God has said. We don't defend the truth. His word needs no defense. God has spoken. So we joyfully submit. And let me tell you, that is a difficult thing. Because in our hearts, we are prone to wander. We are prone to rebel. Prone to say, God, must it be this way? Surely there's another way. We come from a long line of people who have grumbled and kicked and questioned. It's in our blood. So as we leave this place today, I want to exhort you to be a people who live under the word of God. Do so for the nourishment and the sake of your own soul. Do so for the nourishment and sake of your marriage, of your household. But please do so for the sake and the health and nourishment of the people of God that you lead and serve. We must think rightly about the word of God. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word, the totality from first to last, every jot and tittle is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Go back to verses 1 and 2. I want you to see that This thinking rightly causes a deep and lasting joy in us. It causes a humility to humble ourselves under the word of God. in submission with gladness. Blessed are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek them with their whole heart. There's a delighting in keeping and following the word of God. Of God. It's the Word of God that teaches us, that trains us, that reproves us, that corrects us, that trains us in righteousness so that we're faithful servants and shepherds and singers of the gospel. Do you think rightly about the Word of God? But it doesn't stop there it then transitions us and calls us to this holistic picture of being people who, yes, think rightly, but who also feel deeply toward God's Word. Who feel deeply toward God's Word. Turn with me to verses 129 through 136. 129 through 136. Let's read here. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your word gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise. Let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression, that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant, and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The Psalms never blush at raw emotion. Listen to just the undone nature of the psalmist here. He says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. This brother's not reserved in his affections for God, he's become ruined and undone by them. There's no pride, there's no space for yawning when God is talking. His emotions are affected. When Bob Coughlin stands this morning in, in simply reading God's word, is so moved by it to tears, if that made you uncomfortable, lean in a little closer. This is meant to grip us, it's meant to move us. Last night, Carter asked us When's the last time the gospel made you cry? I remember when I first heard him ask that question, it was about four years ago, and afterwards I got in my truck and I cried like a sixth grade schoolgirl, and it felt wonderful. I was alone, I was doing the ugly cry, you know, just snot and thank you Jesus everywhere. Johnny Cash quietly playing on the radio. Come and feel deeply about this word. Let your affections be ignited, inflamed, engulfed with love for the word of God. When we behold him, we cannot help but our hearts be enlivened with love for him. Psalm 119, 18, open the eyes of my heart That I might behold the wonders of your law. When we behold, we feel. In 136, there's this interesting emotion that's evoked in the life of the psalmist. He says, my ears shed streams of tears. Why? Because people do not keep your law. Sounds like a worship leader to me. God, give us this kind of desire for the good of your people, that we would shed streams of tears because they don't see, because people still don't worship Jesus. God, give us hearts that are broken and humble before you because of this. Let our eyes shed streams of tears because there are souls alive on this earth today who do not worship Jesus Christ. Hear the psalmist. He sounds like this grand leader of the worship of God. Let's enter into this kind of burden that the psalmist has for the people who do not worship God rightly. The people who do not keep the law of God. It's possible to read the word of God every day. To be a part of the most gospel-centered church in your town. To hear expositional sermons week after week for the entirety of your life. To have read all of Don Carson's John commentary. To have the most biblical worship set you could imagine. And to not love God. To not have the affections engaged in the worship of God. Hear the weight of this man saying this to you. This is the tenor of experience. So what do we do? We continue to go back to the truthfulness, the sufficiency, the beauty, the inerrancy of God's word. To say, God, open my eyes that I would behold the wonders of your law. And again, cause this stubborn, clumsy heart to beat with deep affection for your son Christ. Do it again, Lord. Lord. And tomorrow when you wake up and the stubbornness clings again, you say, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Do it again, Lord. My concern for the streams of the church that that are very... Emotive, almost in a careless way, is that they need more doctrine. C.J. Mahaney, who who taught us that as as deep as our affections should be, they should equally be as informed by our sense of the knowledge of God. And there there are strains of the church that 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 don't do that well. There are other strains who who can tell you immeasurable things about the Word of God, but who have difficulty feeling. So wherever you find yourself in this continuum, be carried along by the help and the grace of God. It's not enough just to acknowledge these these tensions and say, oh well. But say, God, help us. We're just standing in line of a long line of fools who have been wrecked by the gospel. We're not going to figure this out. Would you help us? Would you help us think rightly? Would you help us equally feel Deeply. So, for a conference called Doxology and Theology, our propensity may be to forget to feel. It's bound up in the corners and the cobwebs of this heart to forget to feel. So, God, to help us. As theological as our tribe is, may we be equally as doxological. Think rightly about the Word of God. Feel deeply about the Word of God. But then finally, the psalmist is going to introduce a third category. It's already been introduced from the very beginning. One Puritan commentator said, This psalm, Psalm 119, is not clean. It's not links on a chain. This is like finding a treasure chest full of gold. It's messy and overlapping. The third thing we see here... In the word of God is to joyfully obey it. To joyfully obey the word of God. Ultimately the psalmist wants us to see God, to know God, to feel God, and to walk in obedience to God. But, but this is, uh, is going to need some work. So turn with me to verse 32 if you would. I want to walk us through this prayer of supplication in 33 through 40 but we cannot do that first without looking at verse 32 everything hinges on 32 the psalmist says i will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart the psalmist is saying i've been given a heart that's too sizes too small And the gospel comes and frees the heart, gives the heart love for God that it did not have. It is impossible to keep the law of God. It is impossible to keep the law of God. But when the heart is enlarged, he can run in the commandments that God has set out. But listen to this helped work. Listen to these prayers. Look who is the author of every work in this prayer. 33. You ready? Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Do you hear the prayer of supplication? The psalmist is saying, I can't do it. But you can. Enlarge my heart, God. Teach me. Give me. Lead me. Incline me. Turn my eyes. Confirm. 39 to me is the most beautiful news in this section. Turn away the reproach I dread. So to a room full of worship leaders who cannot keep the law of God perfectly, rejoice that the reproach of God has been turned away satisfied by the person and work of Christ. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. When the heart is enlarged and there is room now to walk in the commands of God, he finds the word of God now wonderful, beautiful. His greatest desire has changed. And God has done it all. Each of us who are in Christ have experienced this kind of transformation. The deconstruction, reconstruction, tearing down, rebuilding, finding in death, bringing to life work of Jesus. This is what He's done. He's enlarged our hearts. Our hearts were dead, Ephesians chapter 2 says, but we've been made alive in Christ. This is what He's done for us. He's enlarged our hearts. He's condescended, He's spoken. Perfectly, powerfully, sufficiently, clearly, this is our God, the speaking God. Praise God that he has spoken. What the psalmist is showing us here is gospel-centered obedience. Afterwards, you can go have a gospel-centered lunch, followed by a gospel-centered flight home. But here it's true. This is what the gospel does. It ruins our hearts. And Christ remakes them. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In him we stand. This is what Christ has done for us. From Psalm 1 to Psalm 150, only Jesus fulfills the sum total of this law. So for us who still walk warring with this word, warring with the law, keep looking at Christ. David looks here through shadows, unclearly, at the Redeemer that is to come. And he loves the God who redeems. But we, in these last days, have seen Him. We have beheld the glory of God in the face of Christ. The prophets long to see, our eyes have seen. The coming of the Redeemer, Christ the perfect one. Go back to Psalm 1 with me if you would. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked... We're people who walk in the counsel of the wicked. Nor stands in the way of sinners. We stand in the way of sinners. Nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I have regularly sat in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. Well, I've found delight in many things other than God's word. Lesser things, that's a polite word. Terrible things, lifeless things. I've drank from cisterns that held no water. Weightless clouds. And on his law he meditates day and night. Well, I meditate on lots of things besides the law of God. And I've been like a rootless tree time and time again but God in Christ. The hero of Psalm 1, the hero of Psalm 119, Christ, the fulfillment of the law. Blessed is Christ who has not walked in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is Christ who has not stood in the way of sinners. Blessed is Christ who has not sat in the seat of scoffers, but who found total delight, food, food, in doing the will of God because you and I would be children who could not friends we are people who are still looking for our righteousness apart from the work of Jesus I've said already we come from a long line of people who do this people who will struggle to think rightly of the word of God people whose hearts are inclined to run from the truthfulness of God feet that rebel against walking in obedience to His Word. My hope in prayer for us is that we would be a generation whose eyes would be fixed on Jesus Christ, who has perfectly fulfilled the law in our place, and who now stands as the one mediator between God and man who has perfectly atoned for every sin of the worship leader, every sin of our congregations, So that in joy and humility we could love and serve the people of God. Not in a righteousness that's our own. Not trying to earn the righteousness of God. Not playing like little priests. But looking to the priest. The great high priest we've been given in Christ. And by the help and presence of God. Trusting in his grace to carry us until the day that we will be one with him, where God and man will dwell as one through all eternity. Friends, be encouraged. I don't know the state of your heart or your home or your church. but For those of us who are in Christ, God is for us. God has called you and placed you where you are for his assignment, for his purposes, for his plans. We walk by faith in the Son of God, clothed in the righteousness that it's not our own, humbled by the law of God and lifted by the gospel of Christ, and set as those who would sing and serve and love and lead the people of God in worship for the glory of Christ is our task it's a beautiful task I praise God for you I pray for you that we would continue with God's help to think rightly to feel deeply and to walk in joy-filled obedience to the law of God would you bow your head where you are we'll lead us in prayer I'm going to pray Psalm 119, verses 33 through 40. God, teach us the way of your statutes. And give us the grace to keep them to the end. God, we need your understanding. That our hearts would be engaged in responding to the perfect law of God. God. Father, would you lead us in the path of your commandments and where our delight is weak and perhaps but a flicker. Would you ignite it with the fire of the Holy Spirit? Would you be gracious to us and incline our hearts to your testimonies? Not to selfish gain, not for the promotion of our songs or our churches God incline our hearts to the gain of your glory for us whose eyes are prone to look at worthless things turn our eyes turn our eyes to the one who has pursued us who has purchased us who has Called us, who has saved us, who is sustaining us, who's encircled us with his love and shown us his kindness. Turn our eyes to behold the glory and the wonder of the mystery of the gospel. That we would look and live, that we would behold and respond that our hearts would find you increasingly more glorious. God, would you be gracious to us that we would be people who build our lives on the word of God. And with the arrows of the enemy and the darts of culture and the fightings within and fears without uh, pursue stripping your word of its power, of its efficacy, God, may we be people who stand strong, saying how firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your rest in his excellent word. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that obey, we pray in Christ's name.